I'm excited about the message today. It's one that uh, will help all of us. I know it's helped me in the study of it, and I hope that it'll be beneficial to you. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Love suffers long. In some translations, it says love is patient and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I hope today as we go through these verses that the message will help each of us to be a better person. The formula is certainly within these verses. As we think about it, as we pray about it, it also will help us to form deeper friendships. You know, a lot of folks today don't have uh, many friends, and they don't know why. Well, One of the things that we can do is to put into place uh, these descriptive adjectives of our faith and our life in Christ, and it will be tremendously beneficial for us. Verse 1 through 3 of this chapter speak of man's effort of being loving. Without God's love in us, however, uh, we are nothing more than a noisemaker. We're nothing more than superficial. Verses 4 through 7, our text for this morning, vividly portray what love, God's love in us, is able to accomplish. Christian love is never an abstract thing. It is always concrete in its expression. Love does something. Love is always dynamic. It is not static. In these verses, Paul portrays love in a series of verbs, 15 of them in all. And we're going to look at all of these uh, this morning. Interestingly enough, all of these references, every one of them, show a concern for other people. For other people. The words are not about loving yourself more. Some people say, Uh, You know, I would do anything if I could just make some more friends, some new friends, if I could develop deeper relationships with the people uh, that I know and love. Well, uh, these verses will help. Alfred Nobel got up one morning, and to his amazement, as he was reading through the newspaper, he came to the obituary section, and there was his name. And he couldn't believe it. He thought, what in the world? His brother had died, and the newspaper got it all messed up. And they put Alfred's name in there rather than his brother's. Alfred Nobel had developed a munitions plant, and the company, the newspaper said, uh, made him indirectly responsible for the murder, the killing, of literally millions of people. Well, he didn't like that. He didn't want to be remembered 
in that way. So guess what he did? He set up the Nobel Peace Prize. He thought about how he was going to do it, uh, what it was going to emphasize, and he wanted it to emphasize, of course, peace and love. That's the way that he wanted to be remembered, not by death. He put millions of dollars, of his own dollars, into that program to make it go, to make it something special. And, of course, it is something special. And people all over the world today uh, recognize his name as being a name that stood for peace. Well, after you're gone, what is going to be the main word, the main theme, that people associate with your name? Are they going to say, well, he was a warlike person? Are they going to say, he was a friendly person? Are they going to say, she was a lovely person? She was a beautiful person. What are they going to say about you? Paul starts out this list by describing what love is. And if you would, I want you just to follow along with me in your scripture. First of all, love is patient. The word here for patient is always uh, always means patient with people and not with circumstances. It's always related to people. It's always that way in the New Testament. If someone says that they are in love with you, And it's always hurry, hurry, hurry. They're always hurrying you. Watch out. Because real love is patient. Some are impatient for you to become what they want you to be. Many parents want their children to be something they themselves couldn't be. And as the parents apply the pressure, The child, of course, suffers. Some kids turn out to be preachers because their family just pressures them into it. They say to him from the time he's a little kid, well, your granddaddy was a preacher and your daddy was a preacher and we're just hoping that you'll be a preacher. And of course, guess what? Uh, They surrender for the ministry. And then after a year or two goes by, they realize that they should have been a plumber uh, (laughs) instead. Some people get married because of the impatience of their parents. Years ago, I was sitting in a restaurant in Dallas, eating alone. Uh, Four ladies came in, and they sat in the table right next to me. That table was about four inches from me. So uh, I wasn't trying to eavesdrop, but I I mean, they were four inches away from me. And I heard everything that they said. One lady began to talk about her daughter, who that weekend had gotten engaged. And she talked on and on about how wonderful it was and what a fine man it was and uh, how great it was going to be and where they were going on their honeymoon. And I mean, for about 15 minutes, we heard about that. Well... You know, then the next lady spoke up. She said, well, three years ago, my daughter got engaged, and she married the greatest man. He's just a a great man. I know he's going to be a great father, and 
She just went on and on and on about, about that. And then the third lady said some of the same thing. The fourth lady was sitting just across from me, and she acted so exasperated. She said, well, my daughter, Marsha, 23 years old, she's not engaged, and I don't think she's ever going to be. I looked at that lady that was speaking. She seemed so upset. Her hands were kind of shaking. I mean, she was upset. I thought to myself, well, she is going to be engaged soon just to get away from you. (laughs) Real love is patient. It's patient. It's not pushy. Sometimes we push people into misery. And certainly we don't want to do that. Did you know that for the first time in the history of America that there are more single adults than married adults? I I did my doctoral work on this topic uh, many years ago, did a lot of study about it, and I knew that it wasn't going to be too many years until this happened, and sure enough, it's happened. This past year, first year in American history, that has been true. Well, we have a lot of single adults in our church, and I'm very, very happy about that. I was single until I was 50, and then this country girl (laughs) grabbed me and threw me on the ground (laughs) and stepped on me a few times. Occasionally, one of our singles uh, here in the church will say to me, why do some singles never marry? Or why do some singles uh, stay single for such a prolonged period? Well, I wrote a paper on this, and I want to give you uh, the results of that study. It took me a couple months to do it. There are five reasons. Number one, It's the wrong time, the wrong place. You know, if you live in far northern Montana, there's not a lot of single men or women up there. Uh, You're in the wrong place. If you are a lady and you work in a, a great big office with 50 women, it's the wrong place. You know, not much chance when there's 50 of you in the same room. Number two, the person is too contemplative and not impulsive enough to make a commitment. You know, some people are so, so careful that they want to make absolutely sure that they never make a mistake, and so they never do anything. Number three, many singles are shy and overly self-conscious. Maybe they grew up in a socially isolated family. Or they were sick for a long period of time as a teenager or as a young adult. And that kind of set them back. Number four, which really is the biggest reason, those who have been hurt or disillusioned by some previously painful experience 
think nothing good can come out of another experience like that. And so they really step back from making any kind of commitment in that direction. Many sit at home and they just uh, watch TV. And I always encourage singles to get out, go to things, do things, uh, join things, be involved in this, be involved in that. Don't just sit at home, get out. I incidentally always tell people, join a church, and I know a good one. Uh, That's very important. Number five, some singles have been burdened with family responsibility. For instance, they took care of a sick parent for many, many years, and they had to do everything for that parent. And they gave their life to that. I think that's very honorable, very noble. But it, of course, keeps you out of the opportunity for meeting a lot of people and falling in love. Some singles have to pay all the family bills. And so they take a second job or a third job. Well, guess what? If you're working all the time, then it's difficult to get out and find someone that you would really love. Rarely do two people meet and everything just works out perfectly. That doesn't happen very often. I asked a little lady in my iPhone named Siri uh, about what the divorce rate in America is. And she said it's 877,000 per year. Well, guess what? That is symbolic of a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, a lot of expense, a lot of sadness. And a lot of people just uh, can't get beyond uh, that. Well, love is patient. Love waits. Love cares. Love reaches out. And if you are a patient, loving person, then certainly many of the things that beset you will fall to the wayside. Secondly, love is kind. The kind person is good spontaneously, good to others, good to family, good to friends, does not calculate the goodness of others. The kind person is never bitter because of ingratitude. Kindness and relationship go together like biscuits and honey. There is so much spitefulness and sorrow and sin in our world today. We need a lot of kindness, a whole lot of kindness, just to kind of balance those things off. Showing kindness builds your circle of friends. People will recognize this quality in you And they will say, you know, that's the kind of person that I want to get to know better. Then Paul lists some things that love is not. And I want to take you through that list. Love is not jealous. To desire good gifts is fine. But to envy a gifted person is wrong. Love is not boastful. Real love does not brag. Braggards lack a sense of proportion. I've heard many people over the years say, 
Oh, how I love the Lord. Oh, how I feel close to the Lord. Oh, how much money I give to the Lord. Oh, how much I pray every day. And they drop into church maybe once every other month. They keep boasting about their spirituality. They are really just pagans trying to play it safe. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word boastful is used. When a person lacks a sense of proportion, which becomes evident in arrogant behavior and speech, uh, praising, of course, always themselves, then he or she is a boastful person. We all, of course, need to move away from that. Love is not arrogant. This word could be translated puffed up. The Corinthians had become so important in their own eyes, they became all puffed up. They just thought they were bigger than anything, more important than anything. They were just filled with so much air. They just got so big. Love is not rude. It does not want to be hurtful to other people. In Greek, the word for grace and the word for charm are the same word. It's just the opposite of this word for rude. Love is expressed in attractive goodness not rudeness. Love is not insistent on its own way. Love does not insist on its own rights. You know, some people go through life thinking, you know, this is what I deserve, this is what I have, this is mine, don't touch it. Some people say, you know, I own this house, and it's my house, And I want everybody that comes in here to take off their shoes. I had a friend like that. He had a white carpet in the house. And every time I went over there, he said I had to take off my shoes. You know what I did? I quit going there. I didn't want to do that. He'd just keep his white carpet. Love is not irritable. It is not touchy. Love does not make life miserable for other people by having an edgy temperament. Love never flies into a temper. If you remember back in your life when at some point, some place, you just lost it. And you started yelling and screaming and cussing and, uh, you know, just you just lost it. You just totally lost it. You might have even hit the other person. I mean, you just lost it. When you lose your temper, you lose everything. You say things that you can never take back. You say things that you never intended to say. But all of a sudden, in that very moment, you want to hurt that other person. Well, that, of course, is not a good way to go. We really say things that perhaps in some instances ruin the whole relationship. Love never becomes exasperated with other people. Well, love is also not resentful. 
It's interesting here, the derivation of that word. It is an accountant's word in the Greek language. It means to reckon or take account of especially uh, in regards to numerical calculation. It would be something like this. I've done five favors for you, and you've just done one favor for me. What's wrong with this picture? You know, real love is not reciprocity. It is not making sure that everything evens out. And that's the word that's used here. Love is not resentful. Love is forgiving. And forgiving is being forgetful. You know, you forget the things that they did wrong. Love does not find joy in contemplating the sins of others. It does not rejoice at the wrong, but it rejoices in the right in the other person's life. Do you remember the most about somebody what they did wrong? Does it just go over and over and over in your mind? Well, they did this. The main thing about them is they did this, and they did it wrong, and they did it to me, and I'll never forget it. Or, do you forgive and move on, emphasizing the positive things in that person's life? Love has nothing to hide, and so is glad when the truth prevails. Love finds its pleasure in obedience to the right. The next one is a section that Paul writes where it talks about love doing certain things. And I want to mention uh, these to you now. First of all, love bears all things. Love will never drag into the light of day, into the public display, the faults and failures of others. Do you want to embarrass somebody in front of a lot of people? That's one of the worst things that you could possibly do. They will never forget it. It'll be very difficult for you to ever uh, amend that to where it would be okay. It's just something that you did that was bad. And you need not to do it. One of the reasons today that uh, a whole lot of people don't run for political office is because they know that if they put their name in the hat to run for some public uh, job, that their opponent will find out about that thing that they did 25 years ago or 10 years ago, and they'll say that because I did that way, way, way back there, that I'm that kind of a person, that I'm a terrible person. And so they just think to themselves, well, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have everybody remembering about me. The only thing they'll ever know about me is what I did 30 years ago on a day when I made a big mistake. I know I made a big mistake, but there's nothing I can do about it now. Love keeps on going in spite of everything. Now think about Job. It would have been easy for Job to say, hey, my life's going terrible. I mean, this is terrible. And he could have said, oh, no, I don't want any more of this God stuff. This is awful. My family's died. I've lost all my money. I've got boils all over my body. This is horrible. 
Is that what Job said? No. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what he said. Love keeps on going in spite of everything, in spite of all the enemies, the obstacles that would threaten. And it lives longer. It outlives, if you will, grief and disappointment and cruelty and criticism and distortion of truth and indifference. It outlives all of those things. Mature Christians don't get into petty arguments with other church members. They're above that. Mature Christians forgive and then love again. That's what we ought to do. Forgive and then love again. Secondly, love believes all things. Love is completely trusting. It evokes maturity in others. The Christian holds to his faith On every occasion, he doesn't let go, like Job. He doesn't let go of his faith. He stays, in fact, close with the Lord. Love hopes all things. Love never ceases to hope because it is grounded in God. And because Jesus, the manifestation of God's love, gives meaning to hope. It can afford to wait in hope in the midst of evil. Because it waits in the promises of God that we know in due time are come to be reality in our lives. And then lastly, love endures all things. Not with a passive resignation, but with a triumphant fortitude because it knows that God is love. And that a father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. Our Heavenly Father loves us and wants to reach out to us in love, not in anger. When one examines carefully the passage that we've been through this morning, he realizes that this could, could well be a word portrait of, portrait of Jesus. If you took all of these uh, adjectival phrases and put them all together, it'd be a picture of Jesus. However, The world needs more than a word portrait of Jesus. During the Korean War, there was a little boy who was standing in his living room. His dad was over there fighting in the Korean War. As he looked up at the picture of his mom and dad in this great big picture in the living room, a little tear came to his eye, and as his mother walked into the room, he said, I wish Daddy could step down out of that picture and be here with me well the hunger growing in our world is for Jesus to step down out of his frame by God's grace he will through your life and my life daily as we try and make him really the Lord of our lives and we permit him to live in and through us. We are the ones, as imperfect as we are, that show the world how to love. Jesus has us here today on duty for him. This morning, if you're in the house and you want to know a Lord that really loves you, 
that really reaches out to you, that really wants to hold you in the hollow of his hand, then I would encourage you today to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Make him the master, if you will, of your life. If you've been visiting with us for a period of time, and you'd like to join, be a part of our family, the doors are open today. We want you to come. We want you to take a stand with us as we try and serve him in the marketplace of today. I'll be standing right down here at the front. If the Lord leads, you just slip out and come forward. Let's stand together as we sing. Mm-hmm.